Good morning, loved ones. Good morning. So, for those that do not often recite the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed says that we believe in one holy apostolic and Catholic church. That does not mean that we believe in the Roman Catholic Church. That word Catholic means universal. I want to I clear that up. It means universal. It doesn't mean Roman Catholicism. So that uh, I wanted to clear up. Clear up. And then uh, last week, last week we, uh, we went through the last three of the, of the I am's. And uh, I, was just, I was just thinking about them. In John seven, or in John, the Gospel of John, we have the I Am's, and in chapter eleven, this is where Jesus says that He's the resurrection and the life, as He's talking to Martha, and um, I'm looking for the passage again. Um, here it is. It's in verse twenty-five. If you there, it says Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die." yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So then he asks a question. I'm not going to preach on this, but it was just striking to me. He says, do you believe this? And of course, Mary and Martha watch as Jesus tells Lazarus to come out of the tomb. But that's my question to all of us today. We sit here, and one day, one day our hearts will stop. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So the question is the same question I ask you is the very same question Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Are you sold on this in your own heart? And if you do believe this, our worship should be absolutely extraordinary because we read in Revelation where worship is absolutely extraordinary. So our worship today should be absolutely extraordinary. So bow with me as we worship God in the preaching of his word. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for you are a great God, mighty in power. Thank you, Lord, that you are unchangeable, you are unshakable, and you are unstoppable. Father, what kind of God would you be if you were changeable? You would be one that we could not rely on. And Lord, you are not that God, but we can rely wholly and fully on you and what your word says. Father, may we adore you and behold you. May we see your glory in the preaching of your word today. May we see your glory in the cross of Christ. May we see your glory, Lord, in our own lives as we strive to live holy lives. May you strengthen us to do this. And today, Lord, as we open your word, as we dive into your word, Lord, may you come and may you convict us, Father, of the sin in our own lives, that we be quick to repent of this sin. Lord, that you would come and you would encourage us to live lives holy for you, waiting for that time that Christ comes and takes us home. Lord, would you would give us eyes to see Christ in all of his glory, that it would encourage us to hold tightly to the truth and to wage 
to wage the good warfare. Father, come now. Let your spirit come. Open our ears. Open our hearts to what your word has to say today. In your name, amen. Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is where we will be. Or go there on your phone or your iPad, whatever you have. Just go to 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle. It's one of the three pastoral epistles that, that Paul wrote, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And so we see instructions given. And so far what we have seen in 1 Timothy is what Timothy's charge was, was to uh, reveal these false teachers that were preaching false doctrine. And then Paul gives us his testimony that we looked at. We see his testimony and what he says. And, and I love this. He says in this, he says that this is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. That Christ came to save us. And so now we're going to get back and we're going to finish chapter 1 with, with Paul going back to this charge to Timothy. But first, what I want us to think about is a sniper. A sniper in the military a sniper in the military has great training. I, I think of a book I read called American Sniper, and the sniper was Chris Kyle. And the book title was the America's Deadliest Sniper. But he had a ton of training. He just didn't grab a rifle and just go out there and start doing things. He had training after training after training. And we have this in our military, in our military forces. They have training, they have boot camp, and then they have... Uh, uh, trainings that go on top of that. Even within our police forces, I believe we have defensive tactic trainings, right? Where they have to have this training so that they can become better at what they do. They can be better at waging the warfare that they are going to come against. And likewise, this is what we have to do. We have to look at every time we sit down and we open up God's word that this is training for us for the warfare. Because, brothers and sisters, we are in a war. We are in a war. What is this war against? Well, this war is against the world, the world's system. It's against the flesh, our flesh. We war against our flesh. And it's against the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 and 16. The apostle writes this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Do we not battle with that? Do we not war with that? The desires of our flesh or the, the desires of our eyes or the pride of life? I remember I used to say this all the time that I'm very prideful in my humility. Right? And, and that's a true statement because I would walk around all very humble, but I was prideful in my humility. So this is where our fight is. Now, there's a few things. How does, how does Satan attack the church? There's a couple of things I want us to look at with how Satan attacks the church because this letter is written to 1 Timothy and he is at the church of Ephesus. So we have to see some of Satan's tactics of how he attacks the church. First, he attacks the church or unbelievers, by he blinds them 
to the truth of the gospel. This is interesting that he blinds them to the truth of the gospel. That's in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. He, he, uh, he cripples them and he destroys the credibility of our faith. That is what he's after. He wants to cripple you and he wants to destroy your faith. And that's in 1 Peter 5, 8. He also attacks the family structure. And this one is rampant right now. The nuclear family is under attack. When we read our Bible, we see what the family structure is. And now we have laws being passed that destroy what the family structure is. So he goes after the family, the family structure. He does this through church leaders. This is why I want to go through 1 Timothy is because we talk about church leaders. But how does he do this through church leaders? He does this by church leaders falling to sexual sin. He does this by church leaders being prideful, arrogant, conceited, tyrannical in their power. This is what they do, the materialism. It's the church leader that uses the church for their gain. Prize on widows. Prize on those with money. They want that materialism. This is how Satan does it. This is how he does it. And he does it by false religions, just other religions that come up and say that Jesus is not God. Jesus is not the creator. And yet we know the word of God to be true. So these are the things that he does. So now with that as a background, look at the text that we're going to look at today. Because Paul is going to encourage not only Timothy, but you and I to wage the good warfare. 1 Timothy 1, 18, 19, and 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hamanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, with that, how do you and I fight the fight or wage the good warfare? The first thing that we see out of this is we wage the good warfare by being obedient. By being obedient to the charge right? This word charge is a military term, and it's a mandate, or it's a command. So that's what Paul is telling Timothy. I'm charging you, Timothy. I'm commanding you, Timothy, according to the prophecies for him. He's holding Timothy accountable to his calling, and we know that Timothy's calling was to preach the gospel, to teach sound doctrine. And that was his charge. He was to expose the false teachers. This is the charge. And it's still the same charge for you and I today. And notice in this verse, in this section, Paul does not wave, he doesn't cower back. He names names. He doesn't sit there, oh, there's false teachers out there. No, he sits there and he says, Hymenius and Alexander. In Thessalonians, he says, these people, you stay away from them. You don't even associate with him. You have no fellowship with him. He does not cower back. Likewise, we should not cower back. When there's a false teacher out there, we expose him. This is a false teacher, false doctrine, false prophets. 
This is what this charge is. And it was in accordance with the prophecies previously made about Timothy. Now these prophecies that were previously made about Timothy was just about his calling, his preaching and his teaching of the word. So now Paul, he also charges Timothy in other passages in Timothy. He gives him charges. Here's another charge. In 1 Timothy 5.21, Paul says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. In 1 Timothy 6, 13 and 14, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good fashion, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by the appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He is to preach the word. This was his charge, was to preach the word in season and out of season. You know what this means? You preach the word when it's popular, and you preach the word when it's not popular. But you preach the word because it's a word that hits the heart, that hits the soul. That's what Hebrews tells us, right? God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it gets all the way to the soul and the bone and the marrow and divides it. So this is what Paul is charging Timothy to do. Be faithful to your calling. And he's not asking Timothy to do something that he himself was not obedient to, right? We don't see Paul ever saying, do as I say, not as I do. Paul says, imitate me because I imitate Jesus. We see the same thing with Jesus, right? Jesus never tells us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. One of the the hardest things Jesus says that we are to do is to take up our cross and follow him. But who did it first? Jesus took up his cross. Jesus took up our cross. So we see that Paul imitates Jesus In the same way, he's not asking Timothy to do something that he was not willing to do. Paul was obedient to his calling. In Acts 26, 19, we hear this, Therefore, O King Agrippa, when he's in his defense, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Brothers and sisters, are you disobedient to your calling? Do you just sit here and let somebody else do it? Are you disobedient to what God has called you to? He has gifted you. And he has called you to be a servant of his. Be obedient to it. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17, Paul says this, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do not do this of my own will, (coughs) I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I still entrusted with a stewardship. So he's saying that the gospel was given to him as a stewardship to take care of. And he was to preach it. And he didn't preach it for his own glory. It wasn't for his own pumping up. But he preached the gospel for the glory of God. That people would see the excellence and the splendor and the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. And then in Acts 20, 24, he said, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was faithful to this. We see in 2 Timothy 
right before he's going to die, I fought the good fight. I finished the faith. So Paul does not ask Timothy to do anything. So we wage the good warfare by being obedient to our calling. And not only this, but in addition to it, to be obedient to fighting the battle, to fight the fight. We have to fight the fight, brothers and sisters. We have to be on the battlefield. We can't be sitting in the barracks. We gotta be on the field. That's where we are. When we went through the armor of God, we see that the, that the Roman soldier went out, man, he was armored up. God has given us that armor. We are armored up to fight, to be obedient. First Timothy 1 Timothy one eighteen. Uh, that we wage the good warfare. Now this word good, excuse me, this word good means that which is valuable or virtuous, worthy or noble. So when Paul says in Timothy 1.18 that you may wage the good warfare, what he is telling us is this is a charge for you and I and to Timothy to Wage the good, the noble, the valuable, the worthwhile warfare. That's the war we're in. It's a noble battle. It's worthwhile, brothers and sisters. It's valuable. That's the warfare that we are in. And that's what he says. And I can tell you this. Once you start to expose false teachers, it's going to get nasty. It's going to get nasty. You start bringing up false doctrine and you're on, you're, you're in the ring. Put on the gloves because they're not going to just cower down. They're going to fight back. We are to wage this. It's a good warfare, brother and sister. It's noble. It's a noble warfare. But this is what, 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 what the fight is. Second Corinthians 10.4, the warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We fight on our knees. We take every thought captive to Christ. He is the one that's all-powerful. He is the one who is omniscient. He is the one who's omnipotent. He is the one who's everywhere present. He is the one who sits on the throne in glory, not you and I. We take all of our thoughts captive to him. We fight on our knees. And this one, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is our battle. That is where we wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare. We are encouraged to fight. Paul gives Timothy encouragement. He gives you and I encouragement to fight this fight. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 2 Timothy 2.3, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Boy, wouldn't you like to have that on your, on your tombstone? I fought the good fight. I finished the, the race. I kept the faith.
which leads us to that is how we fight the wage. That is how we wage the good warfare. That is how we fight, by holding to the faith. By holding to the faith, keeping the faith. Look at 1 Timothy 1.19. Holding faith in a good conscience by rejecting them, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So faith is mentioned twice here. So we look at faith in these two different areas. Faith, the first time we look at it, is the Christian faith, the gospel, the word of God, holding on to Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. Having the faith in the gospel of grace and preaching that. The second one, keeping the faith, holding fast to the revealed truth is a responsibility to remain loyal to the revealed truth. Do you hear that? We are to remain loyal to the truth of God. We are to remain loyal to the gospel of grace. We are not to be traitors. No Benedict Arnolds. But we are to be loyal, good soldiers, waging the good warfare. That is what he's saying. This is the faith that we hold to. You and I are to guard this truth. We're to guard it. 1 Timothy 6.20 Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. We're to guard the truth, preach the truth, hold on to the truth, encourage each other with the truth. We're to be nourished by the truth. 1 Timothy 4.6 If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the word, there's our thing, nourished, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And we are to preach the truth. 1 Timothy 4.13 Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. This is our training ground. We're to hold to the faith. Keep the faith. Brothers and sisters, we are in a world where it's so easy to let go of your faith. Right? We have good times, we have bad times, we have tribulations, we have trials. Right? We have trials that come upon us, hard trials that come upon us. Are you going to hold to the faith? Is your grip on Christ going to be tighter when those trials come? Or are you going to listen and let go and take the easy way out? Are you going to hold fast your faith? This is waging the warfare, brothers and sisters, is to hold fast to the faith. Secondly, we are to fight with a good conscience. We're to fight with a good conscience. This conscience is what God has given all mankind. It's that inner voice, right? It's that inner voice. And we have a good conscience and we have bad conscience, right? We can all admit to that. A good conscience is where we have good behavior, Right? We have good behavior comes out of good conscience, a, a feeling of well-being, of tranquility, of contentment, of peace, calmness. This is a good conscience. A bad conscience brings about bad behavior, evil behavior, guilt, remorse, shame, doubt, fear, insecurity, despair. When the gospel is presented, it pricks our conscience. Because what the gospel tells us, if we're unbelievers, we don't have a good conscience. It puts us in the category of one, the bad conscience. Because when the gospel hits our heart, we see that our behavior is evil. We see guilt in our lives. We see (coughs) shame. We see despair. 
But yet the beauty of it is when we see all those things, God turns our eyes to Jesus and says, your guilt is taken care of. Your despair is no more. And your shame was nailed to the cross. Which conscience do you have, brothers and sisters? Do you walk this world with a good conscience or with a bad conscience? Here's what John Calvin writes. He says, a bad conscience is the mother of all heresies. A bad conscience is the mother of all heresies. Paul strived to have a clear conscience. You and I likewise should do the same. Strive to have a clear conscience. Acts 24, 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. 2 Timothy 1, 3. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remembered you constantly in my prayer night and day. Paul here is charging Timothy to have a good conscience, a clear conscience. A holy life. That is what we are to be striving for. To live a holy life. Now are we going to do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's why Christ came and died. Because we can't live a perfect holy life. But we should strive. We should strive to live a holy life. That's how we wage the good warfare. By holding the faith, keeping the faith, and with a clean and clear conscience or a good conscience. Now, what happens when we lose both of those? What happens when we don't hold to the faith? This is the dangers of not holding to the faith and a clear conscience. Look at verses uh, uh, 19 and 20. Holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, the faith and the good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hominius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may not blaspheme. Right? They, they rejected the faith. This is what Hymenaeus and Alexander were doing at the time. They're rejecting this faith. Now, the rejecting, this word rejecting means to push off or cast away, thrust away. They were casting off and they were pushing away their conscience, that inner voice. That's what they were doing. And what did it do? It made shipwreck of their faith. We've all seen a shipwreck. They're they're titanic. That's what they were. They're at the bottom of the ocean. Their their faith was shipwrecked, right? That's what happens. They made shipwrecked of their faith. Hymenaeus, we we, we see in 2 Timothy that Hymenaeus, he preached falsely about the resurrection. His eschatology was all off, if we want to use a big word, you know, or his end times theology was all off. And he was preaching that the resurrection already happened. Listen to 2 Timothy 17 and 18. And their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, and here's another pal of his, Philetus, who have swerved, swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. They were preaching a false eschatology. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you this right now. Because this is my opinion, and my opinion only. If you are an eschatology, what I want to say, if that's all you concentrate on is your eschatology, you just might miss Jesus. Because you're going to be too worried about what's happening in the world. Oh, is this scripture lining up? And is this scripture lining up? Hey, look, it might be lining up, but we have to see Jesus. 
That's what we have to see. Are you going to know Jesus when he comes back? It doesn't matter the time. He can come back in a minute. He can come back in a second. But do you know Jesus? That's it. It doesn't matter if you know the bulls. It doesn't matter if you know those things. Do you know Jesus? This book, this book is all about Jesus. When we look at Revelation, it's the revelation of what? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus we need to know, brothers and sisters. We can easily shipwreck our faith if we don't keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We need to be focused on Jesus. That's my opinion. You can disagree with me, and that's absolutely fine. But that's where I want to. I want to say to you guys. See, that just popped into my head. That wasn't in my notes because now I got to find out where I am in my notes. So, there we are. So, what did what does Paul say that he does with with Hymenaeus and Alexander, for 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 false doctrines? He he hands them over to Satan so that they might not blaspheme. What a gracious, beautiful thing Paul just did. Right? We would sit there and go, wow, that was super harsh. No, it is so gracious because this goes to show that Paul did not give up on Hymenaeus and Alexander. He doesn't do that. This handing over is actually, it's an excommunication out of the church. That's exactly what it is. It's away from the care of God and his people and, under, and put under the power of Satan. See, because Hymenaeus and Alexander, they knew the truth. They swerved, right? That means they got off the road. They swerved from the truth. Paul hands them over to Satan so that they might not blaspheme, but that they would be restored to the gospel of grace. This is his hope, that they would be restored to the gospel of grace. This is the beauty of church discipline, brothers and sisters. Church discipline is not a evil, bad thing. It's a gracious, godly thing because the person that's under church discipline, we want them to be restored to the gospel of grace. Now, how you do church discipline can be very bad. Trust me on that one. It can turn people away. But done rightly, it restores the person to the gospel of grace. We see, we, we see the same thing take place in 1 Corinthians 5.5 5, where uh, uh, the son has his father's wife and he's having, he's having relations with her. And, and Paul's like, what are you guys doing? You're letting this guy still come to church? And you know he's doing this? You're, you're letting him take the Lord's Supper and you know he's doing this to him? No, no. You, get rid of him. Here's what he says in verse five. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Here's the beautiful part. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That is grace. That is hard grace. But that is grace. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And this blaspheme, so that they may not be taught to blaspheme, this blaspheme is to be defaming God, reviling God, to speak evil of God. This whole process of being handed over to Satan is so that they will no longer do this, but they will be the opposite, that they won't blaspheme God. Listen to James 2, 5 through 7. Listen, my beloved brothers, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James dealt with it in his time with the rich. You honor the rich, but they're the ones who are reviling God. They're the ones who blaspheme. Can Christians blaspheme the Lord? Yes, we can. Colossians 3.8. But now you must put them all away. This is the put on and the put off. Put away, put on. And this is what Paul is telling the people at the Colossians church. This is what you put away. You cast off. You get rid of. Anger, wrath, malice, and obscene talk from your mouth. This should not be a characteristic of the believer. We should not be angry, wrathful, malicious slanderers towards each other. Oh, but we do, don't we? We slander each other. We have obscene talk come up from our mouth. You see, this is waging the warfare that Satan wants us to wage within the church. I want you to speak bad about God. I want you to blaspheme each other. I want you to slander each other. No, that's not what we're to do. We're to build each other up. We're to encourage one another. That's what the word says. We're to speak the truth to one another in love. So, now where does that leave us? What are you and I to do with this passage? Simple applications, brothers and sisters. We are to wage the good warfare. We're to keep the faith and we're to have a good conscience. We are called to fight. That is what God has called us to. The Christian faith is full of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, mercy, compassion. We're full of that. But it is also a war, brothers and sisters. It is a war. Until Christ comes and take us home, we are called to fight. We are called to wage the good warfare. We are charged to reveal false teachers, to use our gift in the church to serve one another. We are called to hold the faith, to keep the faith, to have a pure conscience, to pursue a holy life. We are to keep ourselves in check so that our faith will not be shipwrecked. If you think you're swerving from the truth, ask somebody. Meet with somebody. Call somebody that you know and that you trust. Tell them where you are in life. Am I shipwrecked? Because you want to know what? That rudder can stir us any direction. That rudder can stir us any direction. We're to be sure we guard our tongues so we may not blaspheme and be turned over to Satan's power. Brothers and sisters, the dangers of a shipwrecked faith are on the horizon. The battle is a raging sea. Therefore, may the word of God, our faith in Christ, coupled with a holy life, be the rudder that steers us in and through the battle. Go today. Fight well, soldiers of the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, may we be faithful, good soldiers who fight the good fight, who wage the good warfare. Father, we know that Christ is the general. And we know that one day he comes 
on that horse, Lord, and we are with him. And he slays everything with the word of his mouth. Oh, Father, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. May we look forward to that day. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.